0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Okay, if you're listening to today's show, it's because you want to listen to Reed Cooley, uh, who's been going on a rampage of sorts, according to some. But I got to say, Reed, you know, the, the last time a Southerner tried to lay siege to D.C. Swamp Country, uh, it, it wasn't as politely worded as you've been doing so far. So congratulations on that. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I, 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 I always tell people... When they come on the show, especially friends of mine, it's like, I wish we could bring you on for something fun, but I feel like the last dozen guests I've had on the show, it's always been, it's like, oh, it's so good to see you. Tell me how your life has kind of gone to shit recently. Not not that you're saying yours has, but uh, I, I woke up a couple weeks ago, Reed, from the time that we're uh, releasing this episode, and when I saw you were on the Pete Quinonez show, I was like, oh, Reed... Reed's out there. Reed's uh, spreading the message, doing his thing, because he's a hardcore Liberty guy, one of the best amongst us. I didn't think it was going to go the way it did, and since then, I don't know how much sleep you've been doing, but um, the, the whole situation with what's going on with Young Americans for Liberty, um, you're, you're firing and everything. For people who are in like the weeds of the Liberty movement, this is probably, I don't know, it's it it's just it's it's one of it's probably one of the more embarrassing things we've had to deal with for a while because um you've been exposing a lot of what's been going on behind the scenes and i mean honestly some of this stuff is, is are things that people knew about for a while but to actually see it come to light it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, oh, we were right, but it's not, it's not, it's not a good feeling to be right about something that impacts all of us in this space.
1: Uh, yeah, man, it, uh, it hasn't been a whole lot of fun, uh, the last couple of weeks having to kind of expose this. I mean, um, uh, man, on some nights, like, you know, my life's been a living hell, uh, just to put it quite frankly, um. You know, there, were, there was there wasn't a whole lot of sleep the four or five nights after things happened and uh, stuff started leaking on Twitter. Uh, people were calling me, pinging me, DMing me just left and right uh, with questions, with most actually mostly support. I mean, I, I've gotten so many uh, so many people who I didn't know before all this happened. Just reach out and, and, uh, and say, hey, man, we support you. We thank you for what you did. Uh, thank you for speaking truth about what's happening at Yale. F those guys, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I've had a, I've had a couple of friends, people I considered friends for a long time, uh, distance themselves from me. Um, you know, they they've completely shut me out. Some of them, uh, but you know, I will say, like for all the friends that I lost um, over over this whole Young Americans for Liberty ordeal, just getting out there and trying to expose the truth about what's been going on, I've made probably ten times more. Uh, Friends and allies in in that process. So, man, I will say it it wasn't very much fun. A couple of nights after I went on Pete's show in particular, that was uh, that was a pretty dark several days there. But uh, things are starting to look like uh, they're getting a, a bit better.
0: I, I, want, I want people to try and get a better understanding of, of who you are, Reid. because there are two types of people really in the liberty movement. There are the people that say all the right things and look the right way and appear to have their act together and really be in the fight. And then there are the people that actually have done the not very sexy work of trying to advance liberty in ways that most people look at it. And it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to do something more public. I want to do something more fun. Um, I, I remember uh, the first time we met, it was uh, for Shaq Hill's race when he was running mm-hmm. for Congress in Virginia. And, um, I mean, you were walking miles and miles and miles with people. And this was just after um, you had just uh, helped win a race in um, in Tennessee, I think, where you were walking right. miles and miles and miles knocking doors. And then um, a few months after, when we were both working in D.C. at the Arlington office, we went over to New Hampshire for a couple of different races we were knocking doors for. And I mean, the pe- people don't understand like how unforgiving some of those jobs are. Like we got paid adequately; they, um, you know, they 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 put us up, but we were walking in the rain. We got like no sleep. It was just one of those situations where it's like you don't really see right then, right there, whether or not the fruits of your labor are going to matter, especially when you don't win every race. But I remember um, outside of this one place that uh, y'all was renting for us, you and I were in the back smoking cigars and we were just, you know, I, I call it one of our old man moments where we're just like, I wonder what the future holds. I wonder whether all this stuff is worth it. And uh, (laughs) I remember uh, you took a puff of your cigar and you looked at me and you're like, Remzo, I just don't know whether people actually know that a lot of these folks in government simply hate them. I just don't know it, and I, like, I think they, I think they know it. I think they just choose to ignore it sometimes, or they don't want to admit it. But um, I mean, it's it, it's a it, it's a movement where once you get involved in it, uh, you, you you take those experiences, and you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it makes you a better advocate for liberty. So to have seen you having gone from walking miles in the rain, knocking doors for candidates for a while, to eventually becoming the VP for comms, it, it was very much one of those experiences where you could look at somebody and say, that guy's actually done the work. Um, I don't know Lauren personally, but I do know of her career since we lived and worked in the same space uh, while I was back in the Beltway. And, um, unless I missed something or, you know, her LinkedIn was a bit sparse, none of that work was put in. You would think that you would want who would ever be in charge of Young Americans for Liberty next to have put a little bit of skin in the game, but that wasn't the case. So when she got hired for that role, it was, it was one of those moments where me and a lot of other people were looking at it and we were like, well, that seems kind of fucking strange.
1: (sighs) Yeah, um, so as far as a little bit about, you know, my bio, because you said you wanted to, your audience to get to know me a little bit more. Um, yeah, sort of. I met Remzo right about the time that I was uh, sort of getting involved with Liberty uh, back in uh, 2018, uh, smoking cigars and venting and about cigar. how much we hit the government. Yeah, the before times, you know, before the empire, so to speak. Right. Uh, so uh, I actually my history with with uh, with Liberty began in about 2014. Uh, I was uh, an activist. Uh, at the Baylor University chapter uh, for Yale there in uh, Waco, Texas. Kind of got my, you know, my first taste of liberty there. Uh, first started reading a little bit of uh, Rothbard, a little bit of Mises. Uh, so, yeah, I discovered Tom Woods about that time and, of course, the great Ron Paul. Um, but I double majored in anthropology and history, um, went on to become an archaeologist. That was actually my first uh, career. I did, I did several archaeological projects and then realized, OK, I'm not going to get paid just garbage wages to, to go out there and dig up old dead people and their garbage because
0: Indiana Jones adventure involved.
1: Well, I mean, I did get to go inside of a bunch of tombs and fight a few snakes on a couple of instances. And I I had several of those kinds of experiences, which I could probably just, you know, regale your audience with for hours and hours and hours. But (laughs) um, is I can just tell you that archeology span makes a phenomenal hobby. It doesn't make a very great career. Um, it's something that I'm very passionate about, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the pay, the opportunities just weren't there. So uh, I decided to go into a slightly more lucrative uh, profession, uh, politics, but one that was infinitely more important, uh, you know, to, to, to actually helping people, you know, in the world. Right. So I decided to get back involved with that Liberty stuff, spoke with a couple of people at young Americans for Liberty about, uh, how I could get involved, um, and I started getting, started doing campaigns. I did seven campaigns in and around the Yale sphere, uh, and uh, you know, as, as Rimzo alluded to several minutes ago, that's how I met him uh, in Northern Virginia uh, back in 2018. I think mid 2018 was about the time that we met, uh, and uh, it was after my my seventh campaign. Uh, Yale offered me an opportunity to come work full time uh, for their commun- you know, It wasn't a communications department at the time. That was really in the fundraising department. I was one of two communication staffers, uh, and that was it. You know, Pretty much everything comms was split between me and, and another person. Uh, that person ended up leaving, so eventually, I became the only communication staffer at Yale, and from that point, I built uh, over a period of about three 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 and a half years the communications and marketing apparatus that people see at Young Americans for Liberty today. So, Everything social media uh, or TV, radio, podcasts, op-eds, press releases, targeted ads, you name it. I mean, that entire apparatus uh, is something that, that I sort of built over time by bringing other great people on board who could help, who could come on um, and execute on those capabilities. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I guess we'll kind of save the rest of it you know, for the rest of the episode. I don't want to go ahead and spoil anything here, Remzo, but uh, yeah, pretty much the entirety of communications and marketing at Yale. Uh, is is something that uh, that it took me a long time to build there um and I guess it's unfortunate the way that things have turned out the way that they have
0: yeah when when Lauren came on board after um, everything that was going on regarding uh cliff Maloney, and i i I just want to preface with this. some people have tried. I don't think it's because of you, but because of this whole situation, you've got like this weird sect of people online who are trying to aim more of their hatred over back at Cliff Maloney in order to kind of shield Lauren in a way. And, um, I was not working with YL at the time. I remember, uh, seeing the, the situation that occurred, um, with, uh, with, with the accusations that were leveled at Cliff. I don't want to talk about that. What, what I will say is that uh, Cliff Maloney is a friend of mine. I've known him for many years. Uh, I will not speak ill of a man who has done so much good for me, and I don't remember whether or not it was actually proven whether the accusations were real or not. I can say that from an outsider looking in at the time, I was a bit disappointed with how the process was handled. But to try and, you know, dig that up again uh, almost a full year after it has happened in order to shield somebody else's uh, shortcomings, that, that's not going to make anything better in this space. And for the people doing that, um, you, you might think that you're trying to, you know, a halt and catch fire for Lauren by going after Cliff, by trying to go after Reed, by trying to go after all these other people, but it, it just, it, it's just not working. Because it gets to the point now where when when Lauren came in, it, it was one of those situations where it was like kind of awkward because it was like, oh, you have a sexual assault allegation leveled against the male president. Let's go ahead and put a woman in there. And that was one of those situations where it was like okay, well, it looks kind of odd. Maybe she's qualified. And then you look at what she had done before working at LP national, doing some other stuff before that. And it's like, you know, it's kind of weird that they didn't even take somebody within the young Americans for Liberty apparatus. I mean, had she had any involvement with YL before that?
1: Um, I don't know. I do know that, uh, that she crossed paths with several yowlers back in 2016. Uh, She ran for justice of the peace of McLennan County, Texas, which is where Waco is located back in 2016. And I believe Cliff, Cliff Maloney's uh, other company, uh, mobilized the message, like endorsed her, uh, gave some help uh, for that run. But to my knowledge, there was no previous involvement with Young Americans for Liberty. She will proudly tell you that she used to be an activist with YAF, Young America's foundation, which, uh, in my opinion it explains quite a bit about, <laughs> about some of the stuff that, that, that has come out to date. but uh, to my knowledge there was no extensive involvement with young americans for liberty um you know prior to her selection as ceo i will say like i don't think that you know i've heard i've heard some people say like yell's dead now like this is the final straw i don't think that young americans for liberty died with like my termination i think that young americans for liberty died the moment that the board of directors mishandled uh, everything with Cliff, just as you alluded to, and then decided to desperately save face by putting a woman uh, in charge. Right. And uh, yeah, it's like. It's in the in the process of, of putting her in charge, they, they completely sacrificed her the, the organization's principles, because I think that, you know, because of the information that that's starting to leak out today and that's and it's still leaking out. Uh, little by little. I think that people are seeing just how misaligned uh, Miss Lauren Doherty is w- w- with the values that the organization was originally founded on. Um, and uh, I think it's become pretty clear to people paying attention to this, especially those in the weeds, as you put it several minutes ago, Remzo, that uh, I wasn't terminated for any other reason than trying to stand up for for the Ron Paul revolution inside of what was supposed to be Ron Paul's organization. So you know, the mishandling of everything that happened to, to Cliff Maloney by the board of directors, and then his, his replacement with Lauren Doherty in a desperate attempt to try and save face. Um, you know, that's the, that was really, you know, the beginning of the end, I think for, for young Americans for Liberty, as we know it, or at least a young Americans for Liberty worth defending.
0: Well, let's go back to the beginning, um, to when Lauren finally filled the role. Um, you know what? What were what was the office like? I mean, what was she trying to establish as the new standard coming into her position?
1: Well, um, this, in my perspective, as sort of you know the chief brand ambassador at Young Americans for Liberty, it was it was immediately clear. It was actually clear to me several days before she officially took office that she had every intention of taking the Young Americans for Liberty brand and making it more uh, similar to to what the Libertarian Party had espoused under the leadership of like, let's say Nick Sarwark and, you know, during the period where Bill Weld was brought in as the party's running mate, just an absolutely disastrous period for that, that dumpster fire of a party. Um, and, you know, a really dark period for young Americans for liberty overall, right? Um, it, seemed, it seemed pretty clear to me, it was uh, actually during an all staff meet and greet uh, several days before uh, she, she officially took the position Uh, This was just a session where all the staffers were able to sit down and ask Lauren questions about who she was and all that stuff. One staffer asked her her opinion on the Federal Reserve. And she admitted there in front of everybody, all the staff, that uh, she didn't really uh, know that she believed in ending the Federal Reserve because she hadn't yet done her reading on it. uh, And she wanted to do her reading on the subject before she came to her.
0: how How the hell do you get in this space and not have an opinion on the Fed? I don't know. How do you become a leader? Uh, That's uh, like Libertarian far,
1: Catechism 101. Yeah. I mean, if you don't understand the necessity of ending the Federal Reserve, then, then you don't have any basis for understanding the, the rest of our philosophy. Well, which is, despite what Lauren Doherty seems to think, very, very different uh, than, than the conservatives, than the conservative Inc. or any of these other right-of-center groups. And it's damn sure a lot different than this, uh, than this leftist pseudo-quasi-libertarianism. That it really seemed evident to me, she wanted to take the organization uh, in the direction of right. It was uh, it was also just several days before she took office. Uh, there was something that happened between Yale and the Babylon B. So the, the the development department uh, had coordinated, and this I wasn't really involved in this, but it was the the development department coordinated with the Babylon B to get a sponsored article published, right? And this sponsored article that the Bee uh, published was, it looked just like any other article um, that the Babylon Bee ran. And it focused on the work of one of our campus activists uh, at a college in upstate New York. Uh, and this, this activist up there, she was fighting the SJWs and everybody else on, these college, on, this, on this campus that were just terrorizing the rest of the student body. Um, and at the end of the article, uh there was a so it was like a call to action said, if you want to give to an organization that fights to critical race theory in the classroom, uh, donate to Young Americans for Liberty. Right. And there was a, a link to our our donation page. It was something to that effect, the conclusion. It looked like an endorsement of us. So I took it. Uh, I, I, I copied and pasted the link, sent it to all the staff and said, feast your eyes, everybody. Uh, the Babylon Bee just just penned this glowing article about. Yao Right. I kind of spun it that way. Uh, and this really excited the staff and the activists were happy. I mean, it was, it was a big moment for, for young Americans for Liberty. I mean, it was uh, the Babylon Bee, you, you know, you penned this article and it, it looked like a glowing endorsement of us. It was awesome. Right. Uh, but Lauren had a, had a, an issue with that uh, evidently. So she contacted me individually and said that uh, she felt like, you know, the article was problematic because it made us look like a bunch of quote privileged white kids, um, And I was like, wow, like this is something that everybody else in Yale is excited about. And this one, this one lady who hasn't even taken her job as CEO yet, hasn't even gotten into the position, wants to contact me with injunctions that are just that otherworldly. like, like, you know, Dan Martinez used to have a cubicle uh, over there. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's just like it's this lady evidently, at least in my opinion, seemed to care more about y'all not looking like privileged white kids than about ending the Federal Reserve. Like maybe maybe somebody should have just told her that the Federal Reserve is run by a bunch of white males and then she would have become on board with ending it. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, that really seemed to be the case. So it was immediately clear for that reason and for tons of reasons that I've shared uh, on other shows um, that, you know, that was really her vision for the company as something more more leftist, something cozier with neocons, um, just some, something more, more leftist and kind of centrist. Something very, very opposite of what Young Americans for Liberty, what was established to be. Um, you know, something, yeah, more wokist, more corporatist. Uh, just something, something just hideous and unrecognizable uh, from uh, you know from what I had spent you know the, the previous several years working for. The,
0: the fact that she went from an organization that never actually succeeded at anything. And now she's coming into an organization where success was a very tangible, almost daily occurrence. You would have thought that a smart person would have been like, you know what? I have a really good opportunity here. I'm going to sit back for a few days and understand how things work. And then I'm going to see how I fit into it and how I could lead them. The fact that 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 didn't occur is what really shocks me, and you, you mentioned this on another program you were on, and um, I, I think it's really important for people to know. The ideological difference was not the biggest schism, and by that I mean you can work with somebody who is slightly different than you on ideology, who doesn't agree right. with you 100% of the time, but as long as they're a good leader, as long as they're a good coworker, you'll be able to get you know, massive progress on everything else. And this movement, as you and I have discovered, that's how you have to get things done. You have to do that. But when you're dealing with somebody who, one, doesn't even seem to share that core worldview based on individual liberty and based on this understanding that we live in a world that is not friendly to ideas, when when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't understand that and now they're in charge of this organization, I don't – I don't see any other way than this ending in, in disaster. And, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead. So pull me back if I am. But when I saw that um, she had hired Dan Crenshaw's uh, former advisor to be one of like the chief advisors for a YL
1: campaign manager, campaign Dan Crenshaw's former campaign manager, uh, man,
0: that I feel like a kidney stone's coming. Like, that's one of the situations where it's like, you know what? I don't know the guy maybe something about him would change my mind and he's like a super Liberty guy. And maybe th- there's an explainable reason. Like we all have a weird job at some point, but as I looked more into the sky, I mean, he's, he, he was, he was mad that we were withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. Yeah. He was advocating for more U S troops in Ukraine. Like this guy doesn't look like at some point he had some kind of like, you know, Paul road to Damascus moment. it it just seemed like he was moving to another job where he was going to basically act the same way, think the same way. This is not a person who is in any way an ally. This is a person who has probably worked actively against a lot of the things that YL has done at some point. So when I saw that happen, I was like, okay, this, this shit's getting weird. And then a few days later, after you came out with, um, with, with what occurred regarding your termination, I was like, well, holy shit. Like what? What is what is happening? What, what were what were some of the other examples of moments where she she actively tried to get in the way of what was going on with the comms team?
1: Oh well, it's it's impossible to numerate them all because let's keep in mind this went on for ten months, Remzo. My last ten months at Young Americans for Liberty was spent having to decide whether I was going to obey Lauren's directives and sacrifice, you know, young Americans for liberty's principles or stand up for young Americans for liberty's principles and continue to put myself at risk. So it's impossible to enumerate all of them, but one of the more egregious ones, they came just uh, a few weeks after, um, after the, you know, the, the whole ordeal with the Babylon B thing, you know, that I described a minute ago, this was early May. Um, my communications team uh, created one of created the first of many posts attacking Liz Cheney about that time, right? Uh, Which is something that Young Americans for Liberty should have been doing. Yale was founded in opposition to the Bushes and the Cheneys. Yale wasn't founded in opposition to socialism, although quite clearly it's against socialism. What makes, one of many things that, that is supposed to make that organization unique is that it was founded in opposition to the Bushes and the Cheneys. But this post that my team created attacking Liz Cheney, Lauren had an issue with it. So she texted me individually um, and with a series of texts reading and I'll quote, my brain isn't at its best this week, but isn't what Liz Cheney is doing right now more aligned with our interests than other times. I don't see how criticizing her right now on her opposition to Trumpism is in your best interest. I frankly commend her for her courage on this one. Um, So that is the CEO of Young Americans for Liberty originally founded as Students for Ron Paul Praising Liz Cheney uh, for her courage on her opposition to Trumpism, and I just want to make something abundantly clear: uh, those text messages, which can you know, the, the screenshots of which can be found on Thoe Bishop's Twitter page, nothing is being taken out of context there. Um, the, the, you know that that's the conversation uh, in all of its in all of its detail uh, in its entirety. Um, there's nothing being taken out of context there. In case anybody's worried that that maybe. The you know, the the truth here is just is being uh, removed from its, uh, its context because this, that's this not isn't, this is a, gossip. Uh, right. This like isn't this gossip. Is, this, this is actually the, the evidence that you put out there. Right, right, and so uh, I think that you know, like one or two people might have had a problem that the text messages were were screen capped and leaked. Well, number one, they were sent to my private cell phone. Um, okay, they were sent to my phone, like my my personal cell number. Uh, and number two, what else would a person have had me do? Uh, simply spread rumors or whatever without evidence? Uh, may make the accusations without some form of evidence? Is that really preferable uh, to sharing the concrete evidence with people so that they can make up their own minds about what's really going on here? So that was that was pretty egregious. That, that signaled a whole lot of other problems uh, with Ms. Doherty. Um, it was right at a month later. Um, my, my, my communications team posted a picture of Kamala Harris laughing into a microphone with a caption reading, uh, find someone who laughs at your jokes the way Kamala Harris laughs at a question she doesn't know the answer to. Pretty benign. As far as I'm concerned, that was a pretty harmless, you know, just comedic social media that's post. <laughs> and that's it. You could even argue that's boomer humor, which is Whenever you're, whenever you're running a page like Young Americans for Liberty, you need to use some of that, right? Uh, obviously, you can't, just, you can't just tailor your content towards millennials and Gen Z. You got to bring along the old folks as well, right? But, uh, you know, Lauren got angry with this, evidently, sent me a series of text messages ordering me to take the post down. Her justification was as follows. It looks really bad if we are calling the first non-white and female VP stupid, which is how many people will see this. So I, I pushed back on her, but uh, she ultimately refused to budge. My team was forced uh, to take that post down. And obviously this put kind of a, this put a precedent on us where it, it really became impossible to to criticize Kamala Harris for anything meaningful because apparently tyrants are off limits whenever they have the right amount of melanin in their skin and they have the right chromosomes. So- um,
0: as, that, your, as your minority friend, problem. Let, let me let me give you some cover fire for this one as as i see statements like that all it indicates from the person who would say oh well you know there is the first xyz person of you know qrs it, it, it's it's this um it, it's i i would almost i would almost say it's like a form of subtle like soft-handed racism because yep. it's like well you know um this person is absolutely terrible, but we, we have to, you know, we have to give them some credit because of all these things that are outside of their control. It's like, you know, if I if I see a white dude who's evil, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, we shouldn't talk to him that way, or X, Y, Z, we should talk about him that way. I wouldn't treat him any differently than how I would treat somebody who was black, somebody who was Asian, somebody who was right. whatever, because, you know, at least with... With, with libertarianism, if there's one thing that I would say we're probably more woke on than everybody else, it's that we're equal opportunists. We're equal opportunity haters. We go for the individual regardless right. of their skin color, their sexuality. I mean, that's why I always loved about Young Americans for Liberty. You got, like, the most diverse group of you know, millennials and Gen Zers involved to work for liberal right. because we wanted to be seen as people, and we didn't want to be seen as somebody that belonged to a specific demographic plantation. So when I saw that text message that you put up, where she's like, "Well, you know, we, we can't do that to the first you know woman of color," it's like, "What what are you doing?" It's like you're 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 not trying. You think you're taking a step forward in how politically correct you are? No, you're just right. taking everybody a giant leap back.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, Young Americans for Liberty is, uh, is an incredibly organically diverse organization, right? It's, it's the ideas of liberty, you know, of, of liberty, free markets, and the Constitution that attracts people from all sorts of different kinds of backgrounds. And it's not through some artificial pandering or anything like that. It's, it's done because the ideas themselves are attractive to everybody, regardless of their background, right? And this was something that, in my opinion, Lauren Doherty, uh, completely missed the mark on. She felt like, you know, she seemed to feel like libertarians had to apologize for, for being libertarians. Like, like, like we had to apologize for being, um, right. you know, for, for being, you know, an organism, for, for being a movement that wasn't inclined to all these different forms of political correctness and such things. Um, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, Remzo, what motivation does a person with this many differences with Young Americans for Liberty's brand have for wanting to become CEO of Young Americans for Liberty. I don't think that we can say that it's because they, you know, they love what Young Americans for Liberty has been since its inception. And I think that as the evidence has shown over these last several days, it's quite clearly because they have a very different vision for where they want the organization to go. Um, like, I mean, like, you know, think about any organization that you have uh, a ton of apps just a ton of profound, fundamental philosophical differences with. Um, would you, I mean, if you were given a chance to be CEO of that organization, uh, would you do it because you love what that organization is or would you do it because you would like them to, to go a little bit more in the direction of liberty? Well, it seems like we're going in the exact inverse with, with Lauren Doherty being CEO of Young Americans for Liberty now. Um, yeah, so it's, you're right. Whenever, whenever Yale tried, to, tried to, to to run cover for itself, and like whenever, whenever the org's treatment of women was brought into question, so they brought they overcorrected by bringing in Miss Doherty. That was the beginning of the end for the organization, in my opinion. That was uh, that was whenever the org really just started to lose its soul, little by little. Um, and you know, the, the the people still inside the organization today who believe in the Ron Paul Revolution, who understand the ideas that uh, that that the, that the organization was founded on. I'm here to tell you, man, they're outnumbered. Like, they're outnumbered, they, they've been alienated, ostracized. I believe that my termination was also a, a sort of a, a landmark firing, if you will. It was a it was a message to all the remaining Ron Paulers in that organization that if you dare to speak out, what happened to Reed Cooley um, will happen to you. Because, I mean, you said it yourself, dude, I started off as a door knocker for this organization, making like $33 a day after taxes um, in grueling conditions, rain, heat, you know, sleet, snow, whatever else, right. I started off in that, you know, over a period of years, I built an entirely new department at Yale uh, with its own metrics, its own vision, all of that kind of thing. And, you know, they got rid of me because, you know, really for for the worst possible reason, which is that I stood for for the organization's original principles. And if, if getting rid of that guy in the blink of an eye doesn't send a strong message to, to the remaining Ron Paulers in the organization to keep your mouth shut, I'm not sure what else can.
0: The, the death of y'all has been a phrase that has been tossed around quite a bit. And it, it's, it's one of those situations where I'm hearing a lot of people um, say, oh, well, I, I saw this coming because of whatever reason years ago or whatever. Um, I, I, think, you know, the, 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 more important question is like, what comes next? Because I think there's often this, um, th- this mentality of like, you know, burn it to the ground and salt the earth so nothing can grow in its place. But it's, uh, it, it's one of the situations where it's like, you know, I, 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 I there's, there's a story about, uh, about this, uh, cardinal who's working for, I think like King Louis. Um, you know, he's, he's representative to Catholic church in France and, uh, King Louis is like, um. Father, I want to go ahead and destroy the Catholic Church. And the Cardinal, you know, gets close to him. He's like, Your Majesty, uh, the priesthood's been trying to destroy the Catholic Church since the beginning. And it's one of the situations where it's like, I see the liberty movement almost like that. And, and I say that tepidly because the the liberty movement isn't even I, I've never I I think post Ron Paul 2012 it stopped being a movement. It just started being like its own its own cultural phenomenon. It was less about us going in one specific direction. It was everybody going in a bunch of different directions. And without a type of leader, as individualist and you know, self-autonomous as we want to make ourselves to be, when Ron Paul you know left Congress, even though he was still a giant cultural force within our sphere it, it, it kind of drifted for years and people kind of saw Gary Johnson as that and he missed the mark and what was what was always disturbing was when um, you know Bill Weld tried to jump in and uh, I, I have problems with some of the folks at the Cato Institute, some of the folks at Reason uh-huh. magazine because they saw that power vacuum and they tried to film it I'm sorry they tried to fill it with this um, you know DC cosmopolitan, libertarianism where it's like, oh, we're not left or right. We're just in the middle and you can, and you can invite us to all your parties and we'll be your friends all the time and we'll be your enemies sometimes, but you know, we're, we're different. We're intellectuals. And I mean, I think, I think YL still has time. What I will say is one organization that I used to be part of that, you know, is an example of the worst to come is, is students for Liberty. SFL right because when students for Liberty started taking money from Facebook when students for Liberty started taking money from Google when students for Liberty started propping up individuals that really represented more of this uh, corporatist, globalist, elitist sphere of libertarianism that is far more to the left than any other uh, libertarian organization, that that was really when SFL stopped being relevant to me because it, it got to the point where it's like SFL, which was started by Alexander McCobin and so many other awesome people, it, it, it cared more about being accepted in DC Right than it did about trying to, to stay close to principles. And I, I, I don't recognize it as an organization anymore. I mean, as, right. as terrible as, as Lauren is. I, I think she's too stupid to actually be more effective at this point. I think the worst has yet to come yet. I think something worse than what has happened with your termination is going to come and it's going to be really embarrassing. And, and I don't think she's the root of the problem. I think she's just a no. cog in the wheel. I, I'm afraid of what, you know, what comes after her, because already people are looking at this lady and they're like, your time is very limited. You're gonna either step down willingly, or someone's gonna be like, "Listen, we we need to replace you with a person of color or something." Because it's getting to the point now where you you only save face so many times that by the time things finally calm down, you don't even recognize yourself.
1: Yeah. So, uh, just to speak in pragmatic terms, I don't see Young Americans for Liberty like completely capsizing as an org, Uh, like like go like sunsetting. I don't see that happening. in pragmatic terms, you know, Yale will continue to be a legal entity as long as they, they receive donations, as long as their, their basic programs can, can stay funded and operating. But what I do dread will happen is that Young Americans for Liberty will go the same route that so many other organizations have gone into, which is the route of failure, right? It was a 2013, the previous executive vice president of Cato uh, openly said, you know, like, our strategy is going to be to ally with the left, right? That's Murray Rothbard's organization. And it, it completely lost its way in the 2010s, right? You see what's happened with SFL, which you've broken down, you know, quite quite accurately here. Um, I see Young Americans for Liberty, I, I see it going in that direction, but with a fusion of sympathy towards, like, neoconservatism. I call it the woke war machine, right? Uh, Raytheon with rainbows. I think that that's, that's kind of the direction that I see things happening. Right. Um, I mean, it, it, it's worth noting that uh, Lauren Doherty. She's uh, this is public knowledge. I'm not the first person to divulge this. Uh, Lauren Doherty donated to Bill Weld's 2020 presidential campaign. Um, that was that was that was you know, the the campaign in which Bill Weld ran on. He didn't run on free markets or anything like that. Um, he ran on easing regulations, and he ran on reasonable and responsible gun control. It was Bill Weld's sole purpose to run for the Republican nomination to the left of Donald Trump, right to to court the you know, the, the small insignificant uh, faction of Never Trumpers, and that's who Lauren supported for president in 2020. Um, like I said, that's public knowledge. You can find that you know just as easily as I did. Uh, I think that you'll start to see the more. Bill Weld, Nick Sarwark, Joe Bishop, Henchman caucus, um, you know, sort of, you know, continue to take over Yale. And I have to emphasize this it doesn't just stop with Ms. Doherty. Ms. Doherty got her job because the board of directors of Yale put her there. And it has since come out that one member of the board of directors uh, donated to a congressional candidate named Julie Oliver in 2019. Uh, this congressional candidate was a Bernie Sanders endorsed Democrat openly running on a campaign of Medicare for all. And that's that, That's the kind of influence that you have on the board of directors. The board of directors is three people. The, this individual is one of those three members of the board of directors. Um, it, it is insanely difficult to use any sort of institutional recourse to hold you know, even a single member of the board of directors accountable, much less an entire board of directors within a company. Um, it's also been widely observed that uh, for the last several weeks, uh, Ms. Doherty has been bringing in people who just so happen to be uh, old allies from within the LP to come in and take on other high-ranking positions throughout the company, even creating new jobs completely inside the company if necessary. So it's, it's not, it's, this is not a problem that ends with the, the CEO, whoever the CEO is. You can't just terminate the CEO and fix anything close to this. You know, the, this is just That's just a symptom. You have the board of directors, which is completely and totally misaligned and out of touch uh, with the rest of the movement, in my opinion. You have uh, other people who Ms. Doherty has plugged in uh, to the organization and and at least somewhat high ranking positions uh, throughout the company. And you have, in my opinion, an executive team there, the remaining vice presidents at Yale, who in my opinion are either too cowardly to stand up uh, for, for the organization's principles or they're too out of touch with the organization's principles to do so. So you have, you have so much misalignment and apathy among the two highest rungs of leadership in Young Americans for Liberty, the board of directors and the executive team, that you, it, it is really difficult to see what kind of institutional recourse remains. And let's keep in mind, with the appointment of Mr. Brendan Steinhauser, um, Dan Crenshaw, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's Dan Crenshaw's former campaign manager as the company's chief strategy officer, plugging him in, not just into the company, but into a very high ranking position in the company. It seems like, okay, even if the Ron Paul revolution does survive inside of Young Americans for Liberty, it's going to have to compromise with neoconservatism. Like you're gonna see a situation, like a best case scenario, in my opinion, where the Ron Paulers inside the organization are having to fi- are finding that they're having to compromise with neocons and woke idiots and never trumpers uh in order to just get anything done right uh so like they they're, they're going to be forced to feel like they have to strike some magical goldilocks zone between the Ron Paul revolution on one side and this 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 woke war machine on the other that they're going to have to compromise with so Um, Ask yourself, in such a situation, which I deem to be the best case scenario, uh, is an organization like Young Americans for Liberty even worth continuing to promote? If the Ron Paul revolution is just an option as opposed to a standard, if it's just an outnumbered faction inside the organization, as opposed uh, to to the true Northern Star that it was supposed to be?
0: It's it's one of these moments where I really want people to understand that a lot of the folks that are in, you know, what we'll keep calling the Liberty Movement, aren't actual doers. They're right. they're the blue checkmark mafia that don't really do much but talk and complain and give sound bites. Right. People are like, oh, you know, and and you see stuff like the LP Mises Caucus and stuff like that, where ninety nine percent of them are just people with with Mises caucus in their banners, but they don't actually do anything. This movement can be so easily taken over by people who just dedicate a few hours a week. It's embarrassing. Yeah. But with that said, it, it, it's also one of those moments where, because I don't know whether it's because of apathy or laziness, if people really want to course correct, it's one of those situations where if you just put in the work, you won't just fix a lot of the problems. You'll be the person that people look at from now on, and they'll say, this is the guy who, who can fix things. And I'm saying that about anybody listening to this who was thinking, oh, well, what if this is the death of this? What what if this won't ever get fixed? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What, what matters is people actually going out and doing the work. You know, I, I, I remember um, after a, a, a long ass day of campaigning Reed, we were, we were in New Hampshire, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And we were, um, you know, at, at this, uh, at, at this campaign rally and like two of our candidates won and one of them lost. And I was just in a mood and somebody came over to me and they were just like, dude, look, this wouldn't have happened if we weren't here. And, and I had to remind myself of that. It's like, you know what? That's actually mm-hmm. a fact because we came here and we put in the work we actually got somebody good in office and we actually yep. did a lot of work. And, you know, if if, if if YL had just been doing for years in their comms department what they had been doing prior to you, they wouldn't have gotten so many people on Fox. They wouldn't have gotten so many more people involved. There seems to be lull periods in organizations, especially youth organizations. But YL right. was the one that kept boasting about how much they were growing. And that's in large part to the work that you did and a team of individuals that also worked incredibly hard on it. It's because when you show up and you do the work, amazing things can happen. And while all these folks who have been brought in to leadership positions at YIL think that they're gonna make these massive changes, you know, knowing some of them, what I can say is they're all sitting down, looking around, asking themselves, I wonder who's gonna do the work, so then I can right. take some credit for it. Yep. So, you know, I'm not I'm not as pessimistic as some folks because I think it's like with government. We, we think that um, they're capable of doing so many inc- intricate, dangerous things. But we're also remembering that these are the people that couldn't even get the Obamacare website up and they drone strike the wrong people. Um, yep. We're not always dealing with, you know, the smartest, dumb people or the dumbest smart people. But it's it's up to those who are actually willing to take action who can get the results done. Um, Reed, what's uh, what, what's next for you? Like, you know, right now you must obviously be in a period where you you need to get this out to as many people as possible. So then you could, you know, hopefully move on and get back to doing greater, better things. But um, where's your compass pointing you? Well, I
1: think that uh, where I'm going next really relates to what I think is the most profound question uh, that we should be asking in the wake of all of this. And that is, uh, how do we learn from this and how do we build new institutions where, where these kinds of issues won't be a problem, right? Where, where, how will we build an institution that isn't, uh, that isn't prone to this kind of infiltration, right? Um, I don't exactly know where, where, where my compass points right now, but I can tell you that, uh, that I'm going to be in the fight for liberty for a long, long time. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'm just not, because to me that, you know, liberty is not just, it's not just a lifestyle. It's not just a fad. It's not just a pretty sounding word. To me and so many other people out there, uh, liberty, it, it is a matter of life and death, right? I mean, if we lose, I mean, I don't think we, we, we consider this enough in our movement. What happens if we lose? If we absolutely lose? Like, think about what that looks like. Think about the repercussions of that. Um, I, I can tell you that, in my opinion, the fight for liberty is really the only fight worth staying in. It's the only fight worth worth actually fighting to begin with. But I think that we need, to, we need to observe what's happened to organizations like Cato, like SFL, and what I'm afraid is happening to Young Americans for Liberty now. We need to understand what it's going to take to build new, new avenues for advancing the movement, new institutions that, that aren't going to be prone to this kind of infiltration, right? I mean, now is, now is the time for us to, to rebuild and to rise from the ashes. Now is not the time for us to give up on this beautiful vision of liberty uh, that we have so um, I'm I'm going to be trying to understand you know how how I can how I can carry that torch forward. Um, it's obviously not going to be uh, inside of a capacity like mine at Young Americans for Liberty. It's uh, it'll have to be through through something through something new perhaps but uh, that is uh, that's where that that's really all the clarity that I have as far as where I'm going next is I know that I'm staying in the movement Um, I'm just trying to figure out where I can carry the Ron Paul revolution next.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for going and doing exactly what you've been doing, which is just laying the facts out on the table, just, you know, calling a spade a spade. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those situations that a lot of people wouldn't have done what you had done, not because they were, you know, afraid of what would happen, but because there are always repercussions to what we do. And uh, it's how we carry ourselves through those challenging times that ultimately is is a true test of our character. And I think you've done nothing but remind people as to what yours is. Reed Cooley, thank you so much for joining the program.
1: Thanks, Ramza.